0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Ahoy and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, your captain. There's Chuck, your other captain, and your third captain, Jerry. All of us equal captains here. <laughs> uh, is out there hovering around silently like the creepiest captain of all. Even creepier than Captain Stubing. Ooh. Um, yeah. And that, of course, makes this stuff you should know.
0: I always loved it when Captain Steubing would have the rare uh, love storyline.
1: Yeah. throw throw bone every now
0: and then. Yes. So good. He's usually just overseeing the love of others, you know.
1: Exactly. He he was a father figure, so that's why it was off-putting when he had his own love thing.
0: Was <laughs> it off-putting for you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> but he wants to see Captain Steubing, you know, go all the way. <laughs>
0: Uh, we should mention, and I wish I knew her name, but for many, many years, one of our young listeners asked us to do Titanic at every turn. Oh, and uh, I imagine that that young girl is now a, a grown woman, probably <laughs> who like doesn't listen anymore. <laughs> but who knows?
1: Who knows? Also, Chuck, I think most recently it was requested by our Scottish correspondent Noah. Oh. Don't you remember when he said hi last time?
0: Sure. I I don't remember the Titanic part, but uh, Noah, you know, I'm happy for Noah to take the place of this uh, young girl who left us (laughs) yesterday's news. Yeah. Which I can't prove.
1: Used us up and just threw us away, Chuck.
0: Yeah, I think we resisted for so long because the movie is Mm -hmm. so linked to this event, and the movie, despite its faults, did a really pretty accurate job of, uh, and I know that was important to James Cameron, of kind of really telling the accurate story of exactly what happened. So
1: we are like, why bother? Yeah, there's actually, um, from the filming of that movie, they may have settled at least one major mystery as to what happened when it sank. The and jewel of the sea? The, uh, no, the, um, <laughs> what happened to the grand staircase, which they found when they finally discovered the Titanic later on uh, in the 80s was just totally missing. It was now like a seven-story vertical, basically an elevator shaft, a huge hole, and none of the staircase remained. And when they filmed that movie, The Titanic, the grand staircase detached and started to float away. And James Cameron was like, I'll bet you that's exactly what happened to the real Titanic.
0: And I have a feeling that Jewel of the Sea isn't even right. What was it called? It had a name. Jim of the. <laughs> There's so many angry people right now. The, the heart of the. Jam ocean?
1: of the. On it.
0: <laughs> I think it was the heart of the sea, the heart of the ocean, something like that.
1: The Jewel of the Wind. Did
0: you like the movie?
1: Yeah, it was fine. Um, I you remember Thomas Jefferson's Bible where he cut out all the magic mumbo jumbo and yeah. just had like the, the morality uh-huh. of the yeah. whole thing. Uh-huh. If you could go through and cut out like the love story of that movie, I would probably like it much more.
0: Well, I kind of disagree there because you got to frame Whoa. it around something. Whoa, <laughs> you got to frame it around some kind of a, a, a story of people are you just saying you would have done another person story
1: yeah why not just throw captain stooping in there and have him have the love story
0: <laughs> i thought the love story was good i i just think jim cameron is uh i think he can be a little ham-fisted with his screenwriting sometimes <laughs>
1: yeah for sure
0: and there was some stuff like that i remember even at the time like billy zane you know little pithy comments like you know that Picasso, who's ever heard of him that'll be never be worth a thing like or something like that. I <laughs> just remember it at the Zane. time being like, "Come on man,
1: Billy Zane does what he's told on set
0: <laughs> the Zane,
1: so yeah, there was another one i I'd, I'd forgotten about this line, but somebody else was basically saying the same thing that you are about that movie or james cameron James Cameron's writing, yeah, that when Leo was you know running with Kate Winslet through um first class. Mm-hmm. And there's band the band is playing. Mm-hmm. And he stops for a second and goes, "Music to drown to. Now I know I'm in first class." Oh boy. So, yeah, the whole thing's just rife with that kind of stuff. But overall, I mean, just the fact that like they went to the extremes that they did to to try to try to get it as accurate as possible and yeah. overlaid like a you know a romantic love story on it like it was I mean it was a good it was a good movie in a lot of ways in so many more ways than it was a bad movie that it's just overall a really good movie
0: yeah I think the most brilliant decision in that movie was to have that beginning bit where it's a little hamfisted but the part where Bill Paxton mm-hmm. and the the sea nerds go over exactly how it sank yeah uh that, that, like, I don't think a lot of people understood that, and understanding that as you're watching the movie is pretty critical. So, I, th- I think that was pretty smart.
1: Yep, yes, indeed. And one other thing about that movie, we'll never mention it again for the rest of these two episodes, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but it costs about almost exactly half adjusted for inflation, um, to make the movie Titanic as it did to make the Titanic. Oh, wow, isn't that crazy!
0: Yeah, and we just did an episode of Movie Crush basically.
1: Hey, there you go. That was a <laughs> mini crush.
0: Although Nate DeMeo, this was this was actually his pick our buddy Nate. Oh, from is that Memory right. Palace. He did mm-hmm. Titanic.
1: He did. That's awesome, man. That doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. All right. Don't I mean he me. he would love a movie like that that's set, you know, like his like really accurate historical fiction that would totally, yeah, that makes totally sense. be up his his alley. Yeah. Um okay. So we we're do talking it? Believe it or not, everybody. I don't know if you figured this out yet. We're talking about the Titanic, finally, at long last. Um, and like we were saying, you know, we kind of put this off because the movie had had just become so widespread that we basically had to wait out its after effects. But I feel like we've kind of le- f- finally kind of reached that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and like I've been in, in, interested in the Titanic since I was just a young kid. Oh yeah. Yeah, when they found the Titanic in 1985, like I was at just the right age to to really get sucked into that. Yeah. Um and the I think the Titanic was probably the first thing that introduced me to like the just the fascinating w- creepiness of looking at things that aren't supposed to be underwater but now yeah. are. Yeah. It's just perfect for that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and it's still really cool. Like I was looking at pictures today of that stern sitting there underwater, and it's uh, it's it's still just like there's something about it that you can't not look at it and just stare at it.
1: I know, and I'm like waiting for the day when things become, uh, when technology reaches the point where we can just. Explore every square inch of the Titanic on the bottom. I'm really looking forward to that. But So I knew a lot about the Titanic to begin with, but just researching this, it dawned on me like, I mean, there's just so much I didn't know that I found in in, um, the time spent researching this. But it also dawned on me that there is just so much more. Like some people dedicate, like this is their hobby, like learning and talking and researching and reading and thinking about the Titanic.
0: Yeah, and you know this is uh, this is going to be a two part episode, and we're going to do it stuff you should know style in probably about ninety minutes. But I'm quite sure there are podcasts out there fully dedicated to the Titanic where it's like, you know, and now episode one hundred and twenty, the cutlery, where people <laughs> right. know like like you were saying, people are obsessed with it and they know all the details we're going to i'm sure get some stuff kind of wrong cuz we're not experts but right. we're ge- going to give it the old stuff you should know treatment you know
1: yeah for sure so uh, yeah so as as like I-, I knew a lot about the titanic there's plenty of people out there who like dedicate themselves to it um but th- just learning about this, like it's just such a huge monumental thing. A lot of people divide like the 19th century, the like the old era um, and the modern age upon the sinking of the Titanic. Like that's yeah. how colossal a thing it's become. Um, but at the time, I mean, it was actually not, that big of a deal like it was a maiden voyage of the the titanic but its sister ship the olympic had already sailed and that was actually kind of a big thing the titanic wasn't even sold out um when it underwent its voyage actually in retrospect that was a very good thing but there's a lot to learn from the titanic just just researching it even if you do feel like you you already know basically everything about it
0: yeah i mean i learned a ton of stuff uh, yeah and i saw that movie a
1: bunch (laughs) <laughs> so, um, like I said, the Titanic had a sister ship, the Olympic, and it also had another uh, sister ship, which was originally dubbed the Gi- Gigantic. But after the Titanic sank, they went back and renamed the Gigantic the Britannic because I thought I think maybe they're they'd be like, well, we we had enough hubris for to last yeah. a lifetime with the Titanic. But these three ships came out of a, a dinner, actually. Um, between a guy named J. Bruce Ismay, who was the chairman of the White Star Line, which owned those three ships, and another guy, uh, what was his name? Peary, uh,
0: Lord William Peary, and their their wives, Florence, who was married to Bruce, mm-hmm. and Margaret Montgomery, uh, originally Carlisle. and that you know that name will come back in just a second. So just
1: put a pin in her. So the um, this dinner was basically about how to compete with the Cunard lines. The Cunard people um, were eating White Star's lunch to a degree because they had just released the Mauritania and the Lusitania. And I think the Mauritania set the, the speed record. Um, these things could make it across the Atlantic in five days, which was very, very fast at the time. And White Star couldn't keep up. So they decided from this dinner... What if instead of trying to make faster and faster ships, we just kind of go with our thing and make them bigger and more luxurious so people want to spend that extra day? It took White Star six days to make it across. People want to spend that extra day because the ship is so ridiculously luxurious that they choose ours instead. And not only was this the birth of the Titanic and the Olympic and the um, Britannic, it was basically the birth of the cruise industry as we understand it today. Just basically making these huge floating lo- luxury hotels. That that kind of became born from this dinner as well.
0: Yeah, and so they th- said, you know, we want to make them about one and a half times the size of anything that Cunard is putting out there. Mm-hmm. And they started sketching around a little bit, and they sketched up a couple of masts and four smokestacks. And I think by the time they got to the engineering phase, they said, by the way, we really only need three of these. And they said, I- no. We must have four. We want it to look symmetrical, and we'll figure out something to do with that fourth one, which they did. Uh, It became a ventilation system, which was pretty smart. Mm -hmm. And initially, uh, Alexander Montgomery Carlyle was the head designer who was uh, Margaret, Lord William Peary's wife's brother. Okay, So it was his brother-in-law that was the initial designer, and then that was eventually handed over to Peary's nephew, Thomas Andrews, and he was the guy played by Victor Garber in the movie.
1: The dude from Alias. The dad from Alias, is it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I never saw Alias, but I know that when you're on TV, that's what you're most famous for.
1: Yeah, isn't that weird?
0: Yeah, except in our case. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Always going against the grain. <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. So, um, so yeah, so Thomas Andrews um, would become the the chief designer of the ship. He did an amazing job of it. But the ship itself, the Titanic, was um, something like 882 feet long, which is a little longer than the American Pyramid in San Francisco is. The building in San Francisco is tall. Yeah, that's so, enormous. Yeah. Imagine a, tipping
0: that into the ocean.
1: Yeah, and then you have like, and the Titanic was slightly longer than that. It was also ninety-two feet wide, mm-hmm. and it had a gross weight of forty-five thousand tons. It was just by far the the biggest ship that had ever been built. And so, like, the idea of bigness and uh, indestructibility kind of was was part of the Titanic's whole jam, like from the outset.
0: Yeah, and there was one sort of fateful mistake, and, you know, Titanic is one of those things where a lot of people have, in hindsight, said, well, there was, of course, the iceberg, Uh, but there were also this and this and this that happened that could have led to, you know, its ultimate demise, and one of those things was the rivets on the Titanic. There were three million wrought iron rivets that apparently, upon further examination, contained about three times the amount of slag residue as was allowable Mm -hmm. and uh, i think the result of that was when they're exposed to cold they become more brittle Mm -hmm. and so some people have posited that those you know it was a well-built ship for the most part but those rivets could have uh, been weaker than they should have been when push came to shove
1: yeah and i mean if your rivets are the the weak link in the chain that's trouble right there big trouble but yeah, not all of them were wrought iron, but enough of them were. And I also saw that they were double riveted and they probably should have been triple riveted from what from what I saw in some engineering blog. You got a triple rivet. <laughs> exactly. Everybody knows that. Sure. So um so they also had two uh engines on board um that were just enormous. Each one was about three, thir- 30 feet tall. Yeah. And they were capable of producing 30,000 horsepower, which is about the same energy produced by 10 diesel locomotives, just these two engines. Um, and they could push the ship pretty fast, something like, um, I think 22 knots was the top speed it hit. And like I said, the Mauritania had set the, the speed record at something like point nine, I think, uh, as far as the record goes, and it lasted until 1929. So the the Titanic wasn't setting speed records or anything like that, but it was still going awfully fast, especially considering the size it, it was. But it was thanks to those huge engines and their, the enormous propellers that they outfitted the ship with, too.
0: Oh, man. Those, like, if you're at home and you can access photographs uh, safely, I strongly encourage you to look up some of these pictures uh, just the pictures of the propellers are amazing. There are two three-blade propellers that were about 23 feet in diameter and then one uh, four-blade propeller that was about 17 feet in diameter. And just seeing a photograph of these things is unbelievable to, to behold, like how big these things are.
1: Yeah. Again, just bigness. It was just a common theme, you know. Um, one of the other things that the uh, Titanic had that was pretty innovative was that – so underwater, in the hull, what would be uh, beneath the, the, the sea surface – Um, as far as the boat was concerned, um, were 16 bulkhead compartments that had all sorts of things. Like one held the coal, or I think multiple ones held all the coal that the uh, Titanic consumed, something like 600 tons a day to get that thing to move. Um, And then there were just all sorts of other just— like rooms that were beneath sea level. And each of these rooms had an automatic door um, that would shut it off and seal it. They were watertight. So if any of these compartments caught water, started taking on water, it could fill up. And as long as that door was shut, um, the Titanic would just be able to keep on keeping on, basically. So that was a real— um, a real innovation that, combined with its bigness and and um, just the amount of steel that was put into it, combined to kind of create this idea that the Titanic was unsinkable. That's where that comes from, largely from those compartments.
0: Yeah, I think they said two of the four could <clears throat> flood, and they said really up to four of these could mm-hmm. flood, right? But no more than four.
1: Yeah, put a put a pin in that one.
0: Uh, and on that coal, uh, there were 29 steam boilers. And if you're thinking, like, how much coal, you said 600 pounds, or I'm sorry, 600 tons a day. A day. That was 162 furnaces of 200 men shoveling coal basically nonstop.
1: Yeah, there was actually a fire Um aboard the Titanic. Like the Titanic was on fire when it was taking on passengers, (laughs) right? Um, And it was because those those coal deposits, one of them had caught fire. And when you have coal uh, that's on fire in that situation, basically the only way to put it out is to use that coal that's on fire. So not only were they, you know, shoveling like under routine conditions, they were shoveling even more coal than normal to keep the fire from spreading.
0: Yeah, and that's another one of those things that people have now. Some people, experts, have gone back and said Mm -hmm. the fire uh, could have started up to three weeks before they even set (laughs) sail, and that it could have weakened um, some of those holds. They found evidence of like some uh, some burn marks and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, where they said it could have weakened some of that metal, and uh, you know, it, it sounds very strange. To have a fire going for three weeks and say, "Here we go, everybody!"
1: Right, exactly.
0: But that was the deal.
1: Plus, it also just gets across how enormous Titanic was that it could have a fire and just be like, "Whatever, right. it's all good. We're 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 the Titanic." But yeah, they they discovered a picture that shows some sort of like kind of a stripe across the hull of the ship that is about where the iceberg hit it, and they said that's from that that coal fire. We think which is surprising. Still, after all this time, I think that's another reason why the Titanic story is so engrossing, is there's there's just so much still that people are learning about it, even 109 years on.
0: Oh, totally. Uh, you also have to remember when you build something this big, you also have to build the things that help you build this thing because they didn't exist. Yeah. So they had to get a boat slip that could accommodate it, so they built the this enormous White Star Dock, and then something called the Great Gantry, which was, it sort of looks like a big, uh, sort of like a skeleton of a big airplane hangar. Uh, you should look at these pictures, too. It's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. But it was a series of 10 cranes, basically, that held this boat in place while it was being built. It could lift the people up to work on it, lift materials up to wherever they needed to go. <clears throat> and uh, it's its actually something to behold in itself, like seeing the Titanic suspended like above the ground like that.
1: Yeah, and it took 11,000 people to build this ship. 11,000 people. And they built it. They they built the actual ship itself uh, and was launched into the water, I think, although it was basically always in the water because it was basically impossible to dry dock. Um, well, this, not
0: when it was in the hangar. It was sitting up there.
1: Okay, you're right. Sorry. But it was actually launched into the water then on May thirty first, 1911, but it didn't have any interior. It didn't have its engines yet. It was fully completed March 31st, 1912, and it began its maiden voyage and started taking on passengers on April 10th, 1912. And I propose, Chuck, that before we take on passengers, we take a break. Let's do it. Right. So, um, one thing I didn't realize about the Titanic was it's, it had three little stops before it left the UK for New York. Uh, It started out in Southampton, uh, in in England, moved on to Cherbourg, France, and then went on to, uh, Queenstown, Ireland before leaving for New York. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That wasn't in the movie. That's right. It wasn't. So, um, the Titanic cost about $400 million in 2019 dollars to make, which yeah. to, that's that's actually less than Carnival Cruise Line's Splendor, which was launched in 2008 for like $450 50 million. So it's actually for for as luxurious as it was, it was a pretty, pretty good bargain, to tell you the truth.
0: Yeah, and here's my deal with cruises. I, th- I think we've talked about cruise ships before. I'm mm-hmm. not a fan. I've been on exactly one cruise. Mm-hmm. And uh, just not a fan. And a lot of it has to do with the decor, uh, like shopping mall carpet and bowling alley carpet and, you know, gold railings and things like that, but not like cool looking. Uh, I I think if they took a note from the – and maybe they are building cruise ships like this now. But if they took a note from the Titanic and other ships of the day today and had that really nice wicker furniture – And some, you know, if not iron, some stuff painted to look like iron. Mm -hmm. And not so much of that shiny gold shopping mall garbage look. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I would be more into it. A little more classy, refined thing. And I think they could go a long way toward getting people like me on cruise ships.
1: There's some that are like that, like kind of some throwback ones. Are there? I'm pretty sure, yeah. But I get what you mean, that whole... You know, you, all you had to say was shopping mall. You kind of nailed it right there. <laughs> like when you look at
0: the Titanic, it looks like something the Kellogg brothers would have been keen on.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because we mentioned this in the Kellogg brothers episode, but they had equipment on board the Titanic in That's the right. gym. And the gym happened to be located on the boat deck, which was the same place where the captain's bridge was, FYI, in case yeah, anyone ever asks you. Yeah, talk about
0: the various decks?
1: Yeah, I think we should. There are a number of them, actually, and they they, um, <laughs> they lettered them by letter, appropriately enough.
0: That's right. So, there's that boat deck, like you said, uh, where the bridge, the gym, and I think uh, just sort of that nice, lovely pine open deck is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the promenade deck, which is the first deck, deck A, and that had uh, those two first-class staircases that you were talking about. Had a lounge, had a reading and writing room, had the all-male first-class smoking room. Yeah, Only a lot of all-male places. <laughs> sure.
1: The, they had the He-Man Woman Haters Club.
0: <laughs> uh, there was the Veranda Cafe in Palm Court, which is really lovely, if you go look at pictures of this as well.
1: Yeah, that that's that's up my alley as well.
0: Yeah, the Palm Court.
1: Mm-hmm. It's nice, right? Yeah, I knew you'd love it, because I was like, look at all that wicker furniture. <laughs> Chuck's going to go crazy wicker. for this. They <laughs> the would wicker never man. allow that in a mall. Uh, uh, what's on deck B? Deck B, friend, I thought you'd never ask, included the first class cabins and suites, the restaurant, uh, Cafe Parisienne, which was this all-male second class smoking room, third class poop deck, which is where the third class people kind of strolled around like gerbils, mm-hmm. um... And then uh they also kept some of the larger cargo equipment on the poop deck for the third class people that use as obstacles maybe to climb over and stay fit. Um, yeah, they
0: tried to hide most of that stuff. Yeah. They took yeah. great care in making sure that it looked just like a luxury kind of hotel and not you know and that's one of the reasons why they didn't have as many lifeboats, but you know, we'll get to that.
1: So yeah, that was something that I also didn't know about the Titanic is that the the designers um and, and builders really went to great lengths to make it as luxurious as possible for everybody from first class to third class, which is also called steerage. Um, you know, it just over the years, it's been, it's, be, it's been made into such a class conflict social stratification fable. Because well, it kind of was. It, it definitely was, but really it just kind of followed the conventions of the day. Yeah. But because of the conventions of the day, a lot of people died who otherwise might not have, which we'll talk about, believe me. Um, it, it's just really, people have kind of glomped onto that. And especially 100 years later, it just seems so bizarre and awful to us. But at the time, I mean, this is just the the way things were. But because of that, you know, that whole idea that it's like, you know, there's third class and there's first class. Um, the, the, you you just kind of missed the point that, that they were like, even in third class, this was incredible luxury compared to what they were used to for passages like this. And it was because the designers purposefully made it that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were mostly immigrants coming to America for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, it it was appropriate luxury for third class. Like, it wasn't, like, the rooms weren't these big open rooms with, like, 30 bunk beds and no door. They were private rooms. They had doors on their rooms. I think they were, were there six people per room down there? I saw four. I also saw six. Okay. Not too bad, though. They had little wash uh, basins in each room, which was a really big deal and a big luxury. Uh, Although I do think they had... Uh, Only two bathtubs for third class to share among the 700-plus people.
1: One for men and one for women. And um, I saw that explained away as third-class passengers probably thought that you could develop respiratory illness by bathing too much. So they probably wouldn't have had much of an issue with that. It doesn't seem as bad as it, it does to us in retrospect.
0: Yeah, I don't think I would have taken a bath I would have just been – it's like I wouldn't take a poop on a bus trip.
1: I'm with you, man. I hope I I never, ever go to jail for any extended period of time because I would have a big problem with the pooping thing.
0: You mean when it's just a little silver – silver thing in the corner with all the other people in there? Yes,
1: yes. I mean, like, yes, yeah. I think that's a big problem. That would be a problem for me. I think that would be a problem for anybody. I feel bad. Like, I really feel that's a terrible aspect, I think, of jail life. But yes, yes, that's exactly right.
0: All right. So where were we? Uh, Well, ironically, we were on the poop deck. Uh, Deck C was the shelter deck. Um, I don't think we said deck B was the bridge deck, but deck C is the shelter deck. Purser's office there, third-class smoking room, second-class library and lounge. You know, everything is very divided by class. Everyone needs their smoking rooms because everybody smoked, right? right?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, Saloon deck, deck D, what do you got in there?
1: Uh, First-class reception room and the dining saloon. Sure. Um, Like they had, like when you showed up for dinner, you would probably sit in the reception room and maybe like have a drink while you're waiting to be seated uh, if Mm. you showed up a little early. That's the Um, best. From what I saw, agreed, from what I saw, the dining saloon, the actual dining room, um, was large enough to seat all of the first class passengers at once. Oh, wow. And I think the second class one was just enormous. Second class, like, is almost never talked about when you just generally talk about the Titanic. It's always first or third. But there's a huge second class, um a huge space for second class. I think it sat a couple thousand people at once. Third class, I think, was enough to serve— um The the, uh, third class passengers uh, over three sittings, I believe, maybe even more than that, maybe four. All
0: right. That's still a lot.
1: It is still a lot. But yeah, for first class, you probably had just one sitting.
0: Uh, And I I think when you mentioned deck B, Mm -hmm. uh, that restaurant was an a la carte restaurant. So it's sort of like modern cruise ships. There's the big dining room. Right. But then there's also the pizza place and the this and the that. And I think the the little a la carte restaurant was one of those.
1: It's like the mall food court. <laughs> <laughs> Except probably not as good. Uh, deck E was the second and third class cabins. It's called the upper deck. And then the middle deck, deck F, this is a little confusing, was the third class saloon, the Turkish bath which um, they, not too long ago, got some really good photos of lurking there at the bottom of the Atlantic. It's amazing. But the Turkish bath was kind of like what you'd call the spa aboard a ship today.
0: Yeah, um, maybe some of the—well, actually, I guess the Kellogg stuff was in the gym.
1: Yeah, I believe it was all in the gym because it was like the shaky band and—oh, um, I can't remember what else. The uh, I think the thing where, where they would loosen up the poop with the uh, suntan bed. <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but there were definitely multiple pieces of Kellogg equipment, and it was in the gym, yeah.
0: Uh, so then you've got the lower deck, the Orlop deck. That's where they, you could have, play squash if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a post office. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, people love to send posts when they're uh, on an ocean voyage. I know,
1: but I was thinking about that. You just show up at the post office, and they're like, okay, thanks. Uh, we'll mail it when when we get to the same place at the exact same time as you. Yeah, that's, that's a good just, point. It seems so dumb.
0: But and, I think it's being postmarked by the Titanic, which is, you know, what you okay. want. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> You're like, uh, there's someone working in the post office literally turns everyone away. Why don't you just hang on to that and mail it when we get there? <laughs>
1: right, well, yeah. <laughs> You're probably better off just dropping it somewhere in New York. You're
0: fine. <laughs> uh, there's the carpentry shop, the plumbing shop, electrical workshops. You got to have all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they have these enormous refrigerated rooms. That were cooled by these uh, copper pipes, just like miles and miles of copper pipes, mm-hmm. in each area. Like you could, you could do a whole episode on just the refrigeration of the Titanic and the cheeses and the flowers and the wines and the foods that they had to keep
1: chilled. And they uh, have they pretty did. Pretty extensive. They did it after the cutlery episode. <laughs> Probably so. Um, and so they, we talked about how luxurious it was. Like it was just as luxurious as anything was in the world at the time, the Titanic. Um, with all, But there was also kind of like an a airy kind of vibe to the whole thing, like the choices in colors and wallpapers and plants mm-hmm. and all of that and the wicker furniture was all just kind mm-hmm. of light and airy and cheery. So it had a, a really nice feel to it um, from first to third across the board
0: yeah like it steerage wasn't just a rat infested gross place to be.
1: that's how it's always portrayed, you know, like basically a floating tenement is is how I've always seen it portrayed, and I think that's kinda how um James Cameron did portrayed it too, which is I guess yeah. where I got my impression, like you
0: I mean, the only thing I remember I think they maybe showed them in their Leo and his uh and Fabrizio. Oh, and, I their little, about <laughs> yeah. and their little, remember Fabrizio? Yeah. In their little, in their little room, and then of course there was the, the Irish jig that they danced right. uh, down there when she decided to you know slum it with steerage right, and that did look a little like a like a you know an old pub and it was that, a brand new boat
1: right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So um, I th- I think I said earlier that the Titanic wasn't full when she set sail again. This is her maiden voyage. Uh, which accounts for why J. Bruce Ismay, the chairman of the White Star Line, whose father was the founder, I believe, and why Thomas Andrews, the designer of the Titanic and Olympic and Britannic, were both aboard. It was just custom for the uh, the those people who were in those positions to be aboard a ship for its maiden voyage, but there wasn't. It wasn't sold out. There was room for something like thirty-two hundred and ninety-five people. Total yeah there was yeah. only twenty two hundred and twenty nine people, so there was like more room for more than a thousand passengers, basically because the the crew uh was virtually full like the yeah. the room for the cr- crew was virtually full, but it was the, the passengers that hadn't you know booked as much as it was expected.
0: Should we take another break,
1: oh boy, yeah, all
0: right, let's take another break and we'll talk about uh a couple more things here to. Round out part one of the Titanic right after this. So uh, this thing, I guess we're, we're where it set sail, right?
1: Yeah, I, I believe so, basically. Yeah, at least from being launched in Belfast, right?
0: Yeah, so it started out in Belfast, went to Southampton uh, on April 3rd. And then on the 10th, it went and picked up a few people in Southampton and then went to France and then to Queenstown, Ireland mm-hmm. to get some more people at like I said, I never knew, like you, that this is what it was doing, oh. operating basically like an Uber share. <laughs>
1: yeah, I guess so. It just you ever stopped. done that by accident?: No, I never have. <laughs> I'm very, very careful.
0: I did once, and someone they stopped, and I was like, "What's going on?" And someone got in. I was like, "Really, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> is this candy fine. camera? I made a new friend.
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: I thought it was in the cash cab.
1: I don't think he stops to pick up other people. He just asks a lot of questions. Yeah, that's true. Uh,
0: All right, so it's picked up all the folks at this point. Uh, In the end, and there is some discrepancy about the final numbers because a lot of people sold their tickets. A lot of people switch tickets. A lot of people can't quite make it on time. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the case of Leonardo DiCaprio, he, he wins those tickets in a poker game right before it launches. No way they could have accounted for him.
1: No. And actually, I mean, that's not exactly that far off. Um, And I suspect it's based loosely on the story of um, Thomas Hart, who was hired on as a fireman, but um, went off and got really, really drunk and lost his boarding papers um, while he was drunk. And they were stolen by somebody else because Thomas Hart showed up and worked. As far as anybody's, anyone was concerned, as far as the logs went, but it just clearly wasn't that Thomas Hart. Right, um, he just missed it like that. Uh, there was one one group of wealthy industrialists, starting with Henry Clay Frick, onto J. P. Morgan, and then J. Horace Harding, who transferred boarding pa- papers for Suites B fifty two, fifty four, and fifty six which ultimately were taken on by J. Bruce Ismay. It just turns out all of them had a reason why they suddenly couldn't go toward the last minute.
0: Um, Yeah, I think uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown's daughter, mm -hmm. uh, she was, um, you know, Molly Brown was portrayed by Kathy Bates. She was Mm -hmm. the hero of Lifeboat 6 that really wanted to go and try and save people. Uh, I think her daughter was supposed to come, but she was studying at the Sorbonne, so she did not. Mm-hmm. So there's a big list of people. They called it the Just Mystic Club. Yeah. And uh, apparently in 1912, the Milwaukee Journal put that number as high as 6,000 people that were saved because they did not sail on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it couldn't have been that much. It's one of those things, I think, where, like, everyone was at, you know, the game where Michael Jordan scored whatever points. Right, and, all right. You know, it's one of those sort of things where history... Uh, fudges itself a little bit. But in the end, they put the number somewhere around 1,324 uh, passengers and those 884 uh, officers, which is a very high ratio of of crew members to passengers.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, there And speaking of crew, in addition to um, Thomas Hart, there were the Slade brothers who um, left Southampton after um, passing muster and uh, and went and got drunk, and then came back, and and they wouldn't lower the gangplank for them again, so they got left behind. Good but, for them. But most of all, there was a guy named Davy Blair, who was an up and coming officer for the White Star Line, and he was initially assigned the second officer position, which is huge yeah, for is an up and coming guy. He. Um, he was at the last minute. I think he sailed from Southampton to Cherbourg, and then at Cherbourg, basically, as somebody who was a more senior officer than him, was was given that position, and he was moved off to the Olympic. And he was really disappointed about this. There's like a surviving postcard. Um that that is expresses how, how upset he was and saddened that he kind of lost that big opportunity. But even more important than that is Davy Blair was on there long enough to be entrusted with the key to the crow's nest locker, which held the binoculars the for the binocular crow's nest. locker. The binocular <laughs> locker. It's great.
0: Yeah, I mean I think there's kind of long been a myth that there were not binoculars on board, but there were uh but yeah, he walked with that key, and that mm-hmm. key and that postcard sold at auction for like 150 grand or something, didn't it? Mm-hmm. As far as I know, yeah. It's amazing.
1: But that's a big deal because later on they would say that had they had binoculars in the crow's nest, they most definitely would have sighted the icebergs in time to yeah. to maneuver away from them. The, the lookout said that later on at an inquiry.
0: Yeah, and of course— People debated that as well. Um, it's hindsight is 2020, 20, but it certainly wouldn't have hurt. Yeah, you know
1: S- No, definitely wouldn't have. So um, I, I mentioned some wealthy industrialists. that was mostly first class passengers were all extraordinarily well above average wealthy people. like even for wealthy people they were above average wealthy. Um, and that was reflected in the ticket prices that some of them paid for passage on the Titanic dude.
0: Yeah, big money. Uh, yeah. in today dollars, anywhere from sixty-six grand to one hundred and twenty grand for passage.
1: Yeah, I don't think that fully gets it across because you're like, okay, I can see a billionaire shelling something like that out. You know, it's gaudy and gross. But what really drove it home to me was at the time, um, so they were paying f- up to forty-five hundred dollars in their dollars, and at the time, the average American made eight hundred dollars a year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and these guys shelled out 4500 for a one-way ticket. This was not round trip. This was one way from the UK to America. That's crazy. 4500 bucks. Isn't that nuts? Uh
0: third class steerage, I think even cost close to $1000 in today dollars, which is a lot of money. I mean, 35 bucks back then, but um that that's not cheap.
1: No, but it was definitely a lot more affordable than $119,000.
0: That's right. So I guess we should talk a little bit before we wrap up about um, kind of the controversy over the size of the ship. Uh, as we said at the beginning, they wanted it to be the biggest uh, and the best, all three of those sister ships, just to be the biggest thing ever, to really rub it in the Cunard Line's face. And that presented some problems, though, uh, one of which was the Board of Trade, didn't know how many lifeboats or at least hadn't acted mm-hmm. on it and said how many lifeboats you should have because in the 1894 Merchant Shipping Act, uh, they topped out at 10,000 tons and said you need uh, 16 lifeboats if you're 10,000 tons. Titanic was 35,000 tons, uh, and they had 16 lifeboats because that's just where the Merchant Shipping Act ended, and they didn't like the you know the unsightliness of them, so they weren't going to add any. Uh, it does not mean – because it was three times the size, they needed 48 lifeboats. Uh, I think in retrospect, they said 26 mm. uh, would have done it. Mm-hmm. But as we'll get to, you know, the whole uh, accident, the the speed at which it sank, it may not have mattered anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, that was one of the big problems with its size.
1: That was a very big problem. Yeah, n- not adding enough lifeboats because they seemed unsightly is not a good move. Um, another one is that the Titanic... Um, only had like six or seven hours of testing before it sailed. And that was mostly just to check its maneuverability. It was never sailed at full speed before it set sail for America. Um, it, so the testing wasn't very good. And then even even more uh, important as far as lifeboats go, they never fully um, did like a full drill to lower all the lifeboats aboard. And one of the reasons why people died was not just because there weren't that many lifeboats. That was a huge, huge issue, but also because there just wasn't a lot of needed protocol in launching the lifeboats, as far as the crew was concerned. A lot of them had had just had come aboard basically the day before they were they were taking on passengers and, yeah. and didn't even have a post or a position while there were passengers on that first day.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a. It was basically an HR nightmare. <laughs> with people showing up as the passengers are showing up, going, where do I go? What do you want me to do? And they're like, have you ever waited tables? Have you ever shoveled gold? Right. And they were just kind of sticking people where they needed them. And uh, like you said, I think they only were able to lower two of those 16 lifeboats. And in the end, what that also means is you don't know how long it's going to take to lower them all. So it was just uh, they were kind of just flying or sailing blind.
1: Right, exactly. So, those were just really, really big problems that would turn out to be um, extremely uh, important when the ship started going down. Um, Because any one of those things being slightly different or improved or not being a problem means that people's lives definitely would have been saved. You can debate, like, how many people would have been saved. But there there was definitely room for more people to have survived the Titanic than did.
0: Yeah, there was also a weird incident that happened on April 10th that possibly altered history. Uh, the Titanic was being pulled out by tugboats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it uh, I think as the story goes, the captain kind of a little too early said, go ahead and release us and we'll just fire this baby up. Mm-hmm. He's really itching to get those propellers spinning.
1: And he said, and give me a toot-toot while you're at it. <laughs>
0: And uh, when he started turning those propellers, it was a big violent suction, and it sucked this other steamer, uh, the SS New York, into its wake. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was attached to the Oceanic, and it started pulling this boat over to it. I think it snapped away from the Oceanic. It kind of ripped off the moorings. Mm -hmm. And if it it weren't for quick action by tugboats, reattaching, pulling the New York away, Mm -hmm. and then the captain realizing what was going on, and hitting the engine hard and turning out of the way. Mm-hmm. Like, it it shows pictures. It, they miss hitting each other by just a few feet.
1: That's crazy.
0: And not only would that, if it had actually hit it, that would have caused a delay that could have altered history, but there was a slight delay anyway just because of this incident. Oh, wow. That, you know, who knows if those, you know, events would have lined up with that iceberg in there at the exact moment it needed to be.
1: Yeah, that's an amazing point, Chuck. I hadn't seen that one. So they they leave Queenstown, Ireland on uh, April 11th, 1912, I believe, right? Yes. And uh, start heading out to sea full speed ahead, uh, and we will stop here. What do you think?
0: Boy, what a cliffhanger. What's going to happen?
1: <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out in the next episode of Stuff You Should Know.